You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. You guys know I like to start off each episode with a quote or a scripture. So today is Romans 837. It says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So either way, guys, I want you guys to stay positive, be encouraged. But I have a friend who's killing the game in real estate syndication, multifamily and podcasting. Tyler Chazer, CCIM, is a high performance real estate entrepreneur who helps real estate investors transform their business and lives. A successful real estate investor with a background as a former perennial top performing commercial real estate broker. Tyler started investing in multifamily real estate in 2015 as a way to build wealth and create diverse income streams for his family. Prior to launching his real estate investing firm, CF Capital, Tyler spent over seven years in the business as a founding principal at a successful commercial real estate brokerage company, a real estate investor, professional speaker, and award-winning sales professional. Today, Tyler offers a range of services and programs from syndication of private passive investment opportunities individual group business coaching, real estate consulting, keynote speaking, and a host of top 200 business podcasts internationally called Elevate Podcast. Welcome him to the show today. Terrence, my man, the first time I met you, I knew we were going to be great friends. And I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. Thank you for being on the show. I mean, there's just that when you're in a room of hundreds and hundreds of investors, and I remember, uh, I think it might have been Brad Sumrock who brought up you and your podcast. And I, I looked you up and I was like, this dude and I got a lot in common. I need to go, I need to go out of my way to introduce myself. So man, thank you so much, man, for what you're doing for just the real estate industry and this, this friendship that we're building together, bro. Man, I appreciate you too. And, and even just leading off with a quote or a scripture in your podcast, I mean, it says a lot about you. And at the end of the day, man, this business is a people business, right? So how are we going to serve someone else? And I appreciate how you serve other people and you pour into other people. So if you're up for it today, Terrence, I'd love to pour into your audience and let's do that together. I think we'll make a lot of magic. Man, let's do it, man. So tell me your story, bro. I mean, we all have a story and I like starting with that. That's just so important to me because I think three things I always tell my team, you can build rapport through stats, facts, and stories, right? Especially when you're in, in the real estate. And so we all got a story. So tell me your story and then how you got into real estate and how you got to the point where you're at today. And then we'll start backtracking and walking through that. But Give, give me that in a couple minutes, bro. For sure. And I, I do think I, I want to stack on the story piece because stories are really how we make sense of reality, right? If any, any of your listeners have ever read the book, The Story Brand by Donald Miller, you know mm -hmm. they know it's an amazing book. If they have not read that book, I highly recommend it because if you want to continue to grow and, and impact other people, you've got to be able to connect, right? And, and that starts with story and people connect with other people's stories because they align with that, right? They're the hero of their own story. And so in terms of my background, you know, I, I actually started my career in the corporate world. I was actually working for a global restaurant company in a marketing capacity. I actually went to school for marketing and I was always fascinated with consumer behavior and decision making at scale from people and other people. And I always was just fascinated why people would give more value to a certain brand than others, right? I, you know, growing up, I played basketball and I was a huge fan of Nike. I never knew, you know, why I loved Nike, but I thought Nike was the coolest thing on the planet. And so if I ever had Nike shorts, man, I was the coolest dude on, on my street, you know? 
And if I had Nike shoes, you know, I was even cooler. And so to me, marketing and branding was always fascinating. So I went into school for marketing to learn how to brand and to learn more about the psychology of business. And as I got started in my career in the corporate world, I learned that, you know, it was really a lot about politics. If I wanted to grow, if I wanted to climb that corporate ladder, it was more so about my time in that position and perhaps, you know, the way that I was pulling strings from a political perspective within the organization. So at first I, I started to look around and say, man, this is interesting. You know, I have to put in more time in this position if I want to go to the next level. If I want to be in the corner office or the C suite, you know, I've just got to put in, you know, a decade or two and then perhaps I'll be there. And so I started to look around and I started to question that. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, that doesn't feel right. You know, that doesn't feel right. And I, by the way, my background, I didn't grow up in a, in a high class society. I grew up middle class. You know, I never knew that I would become an entrepreneur. I never knew that I would step into real estate. But when I started to learn that political nature of the corporate world, I was like, man, this doesn't seem right. So I started to question. I started to ask questions. I started to be a little bit rebellious because I was like, man, I don't want to wait. Why do I have to wait? What if I'm more effective? What if I'm better at what I do? What if I create more results? And that wasn't the name of the game. And so I started to look around and say, all right, well, what else is out there? The first thing I did was like, all right, I'm going to get my resume ready because I didn't realize the problem that I was trying to solve would not be solved by just getting my resume ready and going to another organization because it was going to be the same thing. And so what happened was, long story short, I started to ask other people, started to ask questions and I came upon real estate and I learned after I had bought a home a few years before that, that real estate could be an option. I could start to sell real estate. The funny thing about it was when I heard the words real estate, the brand in my mind was residential single family houses, right? That was, that was all I knew about real estate. And so I went out and got my real estate license and I started selling houses on the side. And this was in 2013. Within okay. six months, I doubled my income and I said, wow, this is interesting. So I made a leap and I said, I'm going to do this full time. But as I made that leap, I learned that commercial real estate was a thing too. I learned that income producing real estate was an option for me to sell. As I got more and more familiar in that world, I became a commercial real estate broker, built a ton of success in that space just by one deal after another. And it was a referral and repeat business-based operation. As I continued to grow that, I started to learn about lifestyle. I learned about you know how the wealthy make decisions on money. And I learned from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Robert Kiyosaki how wealthy people think and how they approach you know, assets and liabilities. And so I'm like, wait a minute, I'm selling these properties. Why don't I start buying them too? Yep. So I started investing in multifamily real estate because that was my niche. That was what I focused on. And I continued to grow and scale that business because I learned the power of scale and the learned the power of passive income and multiple streams of revenue and income. And so I've just continued to compound that over the years. But you know, it's become about who I've become as a result of this process because, man, it was harder to go the entrepreneurial route. It was harder. It still is harder than to be an employee. It's, it's more challenging. You're on the front lines of emotions, right? It's ups and downs and all these things. But I've transformed as an individual. I've become this person that I didn't know exist before this transformation, before this experience. So that's been almost one of the most beautiful things. But every day is a new adventure. Every day is a new challenge. But it's all about you know personality. It's all about relationships. It's all about growing. And it's all about challenging yourself to take that next step. So that's really been my story from a very high level, Terrence. Man, that's cool, bro. <laughs> well, it's crazy because we got, we got, we already knew we had a lot in common, but even in that, you know, starting off, I saw the power of real estate and making that transition as a broker to, Hey dude, I need to be investing. And so, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. 
So obviously people always want to know numbers. And you said a couple of things in there that I want to dive into. And one of the things I always talk about is multiple income streams. And I think in multiple income streams, you create that where you have freedom. And so I'm going to ask you some questions and I really want to dive into it. When you were in the commercial space, was it because you were a broker of multifamily or is it something you were more interested in, more passionate about? Why did you choose multifamily over industrial, you know, RV parks, commercial strip centers? Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when I got involved in commercial real estate, I was selling mostly multifamily. So I actually kind of stumbled into it. I was also selling office and retail and raw land. But the most traction I got was on multifamily. And those are the most deals I got. And I actually became known as the apartment guy in my in my market. And people would yeah. come to me from all over the country to do deals with me. And you know, I was doing deals off market, on market, and so on and so forth. And so I actually built this network and this kind of like, you know, off market like knowledge of all the deals. So I knew all the players. And as you know, Terrence, I mean, it's an 80-20 rule, right? The 80-20 rule is is highly appropriate in this uh, in this segment and, and in all segments of commercial real estate, but 80% of the deals are being done by 20% of the people. And so yeah. I knew all the players and I developed you know deep relationships with all the players. And so as I got more and more familiar, what I recognized was that the risk and reward of multifamily was something that I wanted to take advantage of as an investor as well, because everybody needs a place to live, right? You know, in when times are tough, you know, people still need a place to live. And they need, they need food, they need water, and they need shelter. And I found an opportunity to maximize what I learned in commercial real estate, which is to add value to property by increasing net operating income. And so what I can do is I can go in and add value to our residents by improving their unit, improving their experience, improving you know, the overall feel of the community, whether it's physically or operationally. And I was able to do that while increasing value, but also minimizing my risk because at the end of the day, it's not a luxury. Like, you know, shelter is not a luxury. It's like something that human beings have to have. It's essential if there's ever a word. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Essential. It's an essential business. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to go backwards because you said something that I really like to kind of dive deep in some of these wisdom nuggets. When you've walked through the journey, you can kind of glaze over it. But you said, I went and found those players, right? You went and found the people that were making the moves. And I think as people listen to these podcasts, they read these books, they watch YouTube videos, and then they just think they're just going to just jump off their couch and it's going to happen. Like you don't just get to doing multi-million dollar apartment complexes. There's steps, there's progressions, and there's things that you got to do to sacrifice in order to get there. So one of them is finding out who the players are. What did you do to go about doing that? Like, I want to, I want to talk about that. Yeah, that is such a good point. And by the way, Terrence, like you are a player, right? You are a player. And this is a game. At the end of the day, it is a game. And so I think it's important yep. for us to to note, like there are players and there are key points of leverage. There are centers of influence. And so as it's almost like, you know, looking back, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, you just find them, right? You just find them and you ha- get in a conversation, you build relationships. But if I were to really look back, for me, it was, you know, a lot of I stumbled into relationships or I stumbled into things and I started to uncover, wow, this is a player. This is someone who's doing more and more and more deals across the marketplace. But what I was able to do, and actually for me, it was all about the my mentality that I had as I was growing my broker's business was, one deal at a time. What can yeah. I do to service one person at a time and you know, remind them that, hey, by the way, if you do this again, I'd love to add value to you. I'd love to be an advisor for you. I'd love to help you make better decisions to identify 
more and better opportunities. And so with that mentality and that long-term relationship mentality, you know, that served me well because while I didn't know truly who the players were as a green kind of wet behind the ears, new individual, new player in the market myself, that service mentality allowed me to develop relationships with people. It's like, I just treated everybody like they were a player. I treated everybody like they were, you know, the big dog or the, you know, the whale in the market. And so with that, when I did encounter those, those individuals, they appreciated that. They valued that. And so as I got more and more familiar with who really was doing the deals, that really served me because looking back, you know, there was times where it's like, man, I didn't expect that this individual was a significant player in the market. But because I treated everybody the same way, that paid off. Does that make sense, Terrence? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And that's that's the point I wanted you to make. Like, first off, treat everybody the same. And then secondly, we have a lot of the same sayings, but I call it one brick at a time. Yes. Anytime you're building something, whether, you know, in the brick mentality, the one brick mentality is something that I always say is you got to stack that brick first and you got to be very strategic of how you do it. And you got to. And in that moment, when I'm putting that one brick down, that's all that matters. And you just do it one brick at a time. And before you know it, you've built a whole house or a whole wall or whatever you're doing. Right. You built it from that one brick because that brick is really the cornerstone. So like you said, those relationships started off there and then they just kind of blossom because people talk like. Hey man, Tyler, man, that that dude right there, he's sharp, he knows his stuff. You ought to give him a shout, right? And then once you get, I tell people it's the snowball mentality. Like just you gotta grind in the beginning to get the snowball up the hill. But if you can just stay with it, it will come down the other side of the hill. And when it does, it creates so much momentum for us. So so in the multifamily space, what was your first deal that you did personally as an investor? Let's walk through that because you always remember that first deal. Oh my God, man. This one. I will never forget this first deal. It was eight units. And man, I thought I was like Robert Kiyosaki too. You know what I mean? Like I I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm like, man, I got eight units. I got multiple streams of income, all these units, man. This is crazy. I'm scaling up and all this stuff. And uh, man, I tell you what, I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. It was a, um, you know, I thought it was a value add deal, but I'll tell you what, it was a distressed deal. It was a deal Mm. that, you know, it needed a lot more work than I realized it was very mismanaged for probably multiple decades, not only physically, but operationally. And, you know, I bought the property and and it had eight units. Plus it also had a, a garage that I actually was able to add value to and, and create a new stream of revenue as I exited the property a few years later. But, you know, multiple of the units were non-performing. I mean, you had tenants not paying rent. I did not read that in Rich Dad Poor Dad. I didn't know that tenants didn't pay rent because I was always the perspective that, man, you know, if people have a lease, like that's what they have to do, right? But uh, man, I learned a lot. It was almost like street smarts. I had to understand that what you read in a book doesn't always manifest itself in reality. And so that was a big learning lesson. But man, there's so many different learning lessons that I gained from that experience. But that was my first deal. It was an eight unit property. And you said something so value add. And you know, people throw around these these things and we're going to we're going to dive deeper because I always say my audience, there's really high level investors that are listening, but then there's people that are on the fence and ready to start. And so anytime like you and I throw out cap rates and IRRs and things like that, we just say it loosely. Right. But you said value add versus distressed. I want to dive into that. Like, what would you say the difference is in a value add property and a distressed property? Because they're <laughs> the key word distressed. There's a lot more stress that comes with this one versus this one. What's the difference? So we can get either technical by the bank's definition or we can get technical based on our definition, right? If a bank is looking at a property and they say, all right, well, if you've got a uh, a vacancy of over 10%, that's considered distress, right? 
And in multifamily, that's how banks or lenders look at properties. It's like if you're above, you know, 90% occupancy, you're stabilized and perhaps there's value to be added on this asset. But if you're below that number, you're in distress. And so what this particular property was distressed is because, man, half of the units were non-performing. I did not realize that this owner, perhaps what I call loaded the rent roll. I mean, he had folks in these units and the rent roll looked like, yeah, man, we got nice cash flow here and there's upside, you know, they were paying around $500 a month. And I was like, man, this market would support up to $800 a month. So there's value to be added, right? I can go in here and over time I can improve these units whenever, you know, their lease expires, you know, I can either negotiate with them or if they move out, I can go in and improve their unit. And achieve that upside that the market is providing. So that's what a value add property is, is if you have a stabilized property that's producing consistent cash flow, but it's not meeting where the market is and there's a gap from an improvement, whether it's physically or operationally. And so, you know, that's that's something to realize is that on paper sometimes you can look at a deal and it looks like it's stabilized and there is some value to be added. But if you don't truly understand that there are risks, there are things that you can't see, you know, until you really dig deeper and conduct a thorough due diligence. But that's really from a high level what the difference between dis- distress and value add is. No, I love it. Yeah, because I think when people jump on these different podcasts, different YouTube, they're reading these books, they don't feel comfortable asking these questions. So when I bring people on like yourself and we could just take off and just leave people behind, you know, and we because we'll be talking so high level and just be running 100 miles an hour. But one of the things you hear in this realm of conversation before we move on is CapEx, right? CapEx, CapEx. I don't know. What is CapEx? Like, what would you, how would you define what CapEx means in the multifamily space? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, it's short for capital expenditure, right? So what that means essentially is an improvement in the property that is non-reoccurring. So as an example, if you're going to put a new roof on a property, you're not going to do that every single year, right? That's a capital expenditure. That's a capital improvement of the asset. And if you want to get super technical, you know, an accountant or a CPA is going to uh, depreciate that expenditure over a certain period of time and the life cycle that's expected of that improvement. So that's one example. Another improvement uh, that would be an example of a capital expenditure would be, you know, improving the plumbing or improving the electric uh, or the heating and cooling or even windows. You know, maybe you're building a new deck on the property. Maybe you're redoing the the parking lot. So those are capital expenditures. These are things that don't necessarily occur every year because there's a difference in a capital expenditure and an operating expense. An operating expense is going to be landscaping, you know, turnover, unit maintenance, right? You know, you have Yeah, it's happening year over year. Right. Yeah. Those are those are things that, you know, those are direct write-offs to your income. Um, and they happen every single year and it's just a cost of doing business. But a capital expenditure is improving that asset that really it doesn't occur every single year, but it's also a vast change from where the property is now and really over the life cycle of that deal. Love it. Great explanation. So you said it earlier, like loaded rent rolls. People don't know what that is. And it's like, and one of the things I always tell my team, the Ronald Reagan quote, trust but verify. So, so true. Yeah. You know, we see it on the OM, we see it on the spreadsheet, you know, rent roll, but we got to dig into these leases. Like we got to verify these things. And when you get into those, you know, bigger unit counts, how do you and your team go in and follow that model? Like, how are you really verifying that it is what it says it is? Yeah, I mean, we we actually dig into tenant ledgers. So we want to see the history of each unit. So like if we're buying a 200 unit property, we want to see, all right, so how long have these 200 
tenants been on site? You know, have they lived here for less than a year or they lived here for three to five years? And what's their payment history been like? What's the delinquency look like? And what are the tenant files? I mean, believe it or not, man, we dig through these files. And if there's nothing existing, you know, we're going to question that. What's going on with this tenant? Why, why are the files not here? And we may have to consider if we don't have all that information, we almost assume the worst. It's almost like playing blackjack, right? When you play with the dealer, it's like, I assume that they have, they have a king that's not being hidden. I assume that they have a 10. So how am I going to act based on that assumption? And that almost limits our, our risk and liability based on that assumption. It's not hoping that the negative occurs, but it's, you know, it's also not, you know, shielding our eyes and putting our head under the blankets and hoping that something bad doesn't happen. So, you know, that's how we really deal with it is really digging through, you know, a tenant file audit. I mean, that's what we really do to understand what's the true nature of this income stream. Yeah. You got to meet it head on for sure. Cause the thing about real estate is problems will not solve themselves. (laughs) You, you gotta go, you gotta go meet it head on. So as we progress, right, you bought an eight unit building, man, you really start gaining traction. When did you decide to start raising capital and why? I'll tell you what, man. So the second deal I did was 36 units. I learned through that, that obviously I, I didn't make the mistakes that I made on the first deal. I actually did really well in the second deal. And I learned that, man, there's definitely something to be said about scale. And that was larger scale than my first deal. But mm-hmm. after that, what I started to do is I started to recognize that bigger deals, not only you could put a team on the field, right? And you can, because whether you have 36 units, whether you have eight, whether you have 136, 236, these properties require constant attention, right? Especially mm-hmm. multifamily. They're very highly management intensive. And so what I recognize is that with scale, you can support an on-site team, right? You can support mm-hmm. an on-site staff, whether it's maintenance, leasing, management in general. And so when I recognized that, I said, all right, how do I get in that space? Because I was selling larger properties and I was saying, all right, well, what can I do? What can I do to get in that space? The first thing I did was I started to invest passively. I started to invest passively in larger deals to understand the mechanics, to understand the reality of the operation and to really get an inside look. And so, you know, I built relationships with folks across the country. And again, we're talking about players, right? We're talking about players, people who are doing deals, people that I trusted. And I started investing with them and I started to, observe and learn and enjoy cash flow and enjoy the tax benefits of passive investing. And so with that said, you know what I recognize is that not only is this a benefit for this person who's putting this deal together, but it's a benefit for me as well. And so it's an abundance mentality. And so what I said was, all right, if the name of the game is scale, then instead of being selfish, instead of playing small, what I can do is I can offer opportunities to others. We can scale, we can provide Cash flow, we can provide upside, we can provide an awesome experience for residents and tenants and our employees by having an abundance mentality. And so that's really, you know, the decision is like, look, man, if the name of the game is scale and if playing small is selfish, then let's go big. And that was the decision behind really continuing to expand in the space. Man, that's good, man. Yeah. The first time I heard that is a friend of mine who um, just happens to be a billionaire. He's done well. But he said, uh, <laughs> he challenges me all the time. And he's told me we have been doing different acquisitions. And for the last 15 years, my wife and I have been buying neighborhoods and doing single family or whatever, multifamily commercial, but we never raised the capital. And one day he said, dude, you're being selfish. I had never heard that perspective because I'm like, what do you mean, man? Like, I don't want to, you know, being in the NFL, when you're in the NFL, everybody's calling you, asking you for stuff, people asking you. And they just assume that everybody's got Tom Brady money, which we don't. <laughs> but it, it just kind of was a burden and I never wanted to be that for people in my life. So I was like, I just won't raise any money. I don't want to bother anybody. 
But it was that perspective you just said. And he brought it to me. He said, dude, you're he said, look at the track record you have and look what you've done by you not letting people like Tyler and this person and that person that are friends of yours invest in your projects. You've been selfish. So you hit it on the head, bro. That'll change your minds big time. Yeah. So you start syndicating. If I were going to syndicate, because that's been a question that's been coming in, like, where do I get started? And I always really try to go to the foundational things because we can jump to high level stuff, talking about 200 unit buildings. But really for my audience, I always like to try to give them a roadmap or leave some breadcrumbs for them to say, where would I get started? So if I wanted to syndicate and I'm listening to this podcast and I was able to get to Tyler, what would I, how would I be able to get started in syndication or or in sponsorship or co-GP? There's so many different names for it. Yeah. Well, you know, the the great thing about being an entrepreneur is that there's no one size fits all, right? We can all have a different path in how we approach this and it and it can still work out. I mean, for me, the path that made sense for me was to, and I, and I didn't know this as I was doing it, but looking back, the dots are connecting in many ways, but it was to use my own money and to go out and buy a deal. You know, I created income through the brokerage business, which then I I said, look, let's put this to work and let's buy. And what I did was I learned and man, I made a ton of mistakes, as I mentioned. I mean, I could have gone on and on and on about all the mistakes I made. And, and you know, I continue to make mistakes, but less mistakes each time. And so as I continued to grow, I said, all right, well, let me go ahead and try to learn more about, you know, larger deals by passively investing. So that was a great way for me to get a vantage point and to learn more and to ask questions and to see the reality of these deals. And then for me, then it was about building more relationships and it was about setting an intention to say, look, this is what I want to do. And now who do I need to do? Who do I need to know to be able to do that? Because sometimes we can get overwhelmed with the how, right? We can say, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to find the deals? How am I going to raise the capital? But the real question is who? Who is going to help me do this? Who can I leverage together and offer more value to them? Who can I gain you know, experience with, right? Or who can help me get to that point? So it does come with partnering up. I mean, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that partners can be one of the most valuable things in in this business. And so, you know, for me, that's one thing that I would recommend is for folks to get educated. You start with education, right? You start with education. And by the way, that never ends, right? Continue to learn, never stop learning and yep. be open to learning. Ask those questions, but also surround yourself with the people who are doing it and ask them questions. Who would you recommend else that I know? Who would you recommend that I get into conversations with and let people know what are you looking to accomplish and you can continue to stack? It's like that one brick at a time. I think it's one relationship at a time, one piece of learning at a time. And with that intention, with the outcome that you're focused on, you can continue to stack one brick on top of each other. But does that make sense, Terrence? No, it's perfect, bro. Yeah. Like you said, you're building one at a time. And and, and so not even getting granular. It just starts with, like you said, the relationships. And you said earlier, invest in a couple multifamily projects as a limited partner. Just start there first, you know, and really try to ask the questions and get the right partner because, you know, some deals you invest in a capital investment company, they won't even, you know, you're in and you don't really hear from them. You find those relationships that you can invest in and then you're really being mentored by, but having your money at work at the same time. Yeah. And I would just add that. I think if anybody wants to learn as a passive investor, tell that operator that your intention is not only for the return on investment, but it's to learn. And yep. you want to get an inside look. Is there any meetings that I can be a part of and just be a fly on the wall? You know, I won't get in the way, but I'm really here to learn. And if you tell someone that for the most part, partners, you know, operating 
you know, sponsors are going to say, absolutely. And if they don't, then go find someone else, you know? So I think that's really important. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, you said it earlier, there are no, I always say this and I'll say it again. There are no losses. There's only lessons. It's only a loss if you quit. So if you would have quit after that first eight unit building, then that would have been a loss. Cause look at what you look at what you're ach- achieving and doing and the impact that you're making now. And that's just where we got to have that perseverance and that faith to just keep pushing through and not be perfectionist because you're going to mess up no matter what. And I think it's Albert Einstein quote, like the people who've never made a mistake, never tried anything new. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you're not going to make mistakes if you don't try anything new. You're just going to be complacent and stagnant and good luck with that. But just keep pushing forward, man. That's awesome, bro. So I want to talk about mindset. I think that's an important pillar in your life. Where do you tie that in as a real estate entrepreneur? And why is that so important for you and the the success and the things that you're doing? So mindset for me is really the underlying factor of everything, right? If I'm going to sit here and have this conversation with you, my mind could be telling me, I'm not qualified to have this conversation. You know, I don't know enough to really educate someone else. Or, you know, what if you say something wrong? Or what if you misspeak? And, you know, what, what, you know, what will people think of you then, right? So my mindset or all of our mindset is constantly, you know, at the forefront of how we act. And so for me, it's really important to gain consciousness of the unconscious and understand that my belief system is driving my emotions, which drives my actions, which drives my habits, which drives my results. And so I have to understand and gain consciousness of what do I believe is true. And am I identifying with an empowering or a negative belief system is my beliefs? Are they telling me that I can't do something or are they telling me that if I try, I might succeed? And if I try, even if I don't succeed, I might learn. As you mentioned, there are no losses. There are only lessons. To me, that is a belief and a foundational thought behind developing an empowering belief system, right? And so my mindset continues to be an extremely and almost maybe the most important component of my success. And my success is not always linear. And most of the time, it's not linear, right? But it's always the belief and the understanding that I will continue to learn. And sometimes learning is even more valuable than money, right? Mm-hmm. Learning can compound in ways that, that I could have never appreciated or understood. And so for me, it's about understanding you know, that I can, either, I can actually be conscious and develop my beliefs. I can be conscious and develop an empowering mindset that allows me to take action. And so it comes down to that. And really like at any moment, you know, we're feeling a certain way. Like if you meet somebody new, Terrence, and you, you know this better than anybody, if you meet someone new, you know, you might, maybe you're like, man, I didn't really love that person or, or I really love that person. At times what we have to be conscious of is, Hey, there might be some affect at play here, right? How do we actually feel what's going on beneath the surface? And so I think connecting with some awareness And to me, it's a practice, right? It's about not only mindfulness, but also an understanding of, hey, how do human beings think, right? Where has evolution brought us from, you know, thousands or even millions of years? And so what's at play here? And so disconnecting from that negative thought, you know, because we all have saboteurs, right? We all have these voices in our head that says, if I try, I might fail. Or if I do this, it might be embarrassing. Or what might people think about me? And so looking at that and saying, hey, thank you so much for trying to protect me. But guess what? I don't need that, right? I don't need that to succeed. I can actually go and step forward with courage and with faith, with inspiration. And so mindset is always running in the background in every decision. You know, if I'm looking at a new deal, my mind, my amygdala might say, hey, 
you know what, if you do this, you could lose a lot of money and this could be really scary. You know, then what might happen? You get this negative spiral and you start to make decisions based on a contraction rather than an expansion. And so for me, I want to be in an expansion mindset. I want to be moving forward rather than retreating because all of my dreams are on the other side of fear. How do I act in the face of fear? And I don't do it in a fearless capacity, but I do it because of fear, because fear is a calling card that I'm stepping closer to my dreams. And so mindset to me is everything. And that's really why. Wow, bro. Some nuggets in there. (laughs) (laughs) Contraction versus expansion. Dreams on the other side of fear. I mean, that's some good stuff, bro. And I think, well, because I tell people, then it wouldn't be called faith, right? If we could just decide what we want to do every day, day in and day out, and just write out our life, then why do we need to have faith? You know, the whole purpose of faith is to step out of the boat and try to walk on water, Ooh. right? And and if you're if you're not ready to do that, then be like the other disciples and stay in the boat. But if you are, just know that you're going to have to have that faith. And so that's that's important, man. Wow, that's that's good, man. We we can end it on that right there, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to keep going. Yeah. So real quick, multiple income streams is something you you bring up. Why is that important? And where do you try to diversify what you're investing in? Let's talk about those two things. Love that. Love that. So if you only have one option, you have none, right? So I think that's the most important thing. And again, going back to the earlier part of our conversation, it's one brick at a time. And so it's not like you step into this and it's like all of a sudden multiple income streams, right? So let's focus in one direction at a time and let's build that. Let's perfect that. Let's course correct. Let's make improvements. And then once that system is in a place of supporting itself, or you have a plan and you have a strategy, now let's build and let's bring another brick and put that in place in terms of those multiple streams of income. So for me in real estate, the way that I've diversified my multiple streams of income has been, you know, through multifamily and that's my specialty. That's what I focus on. And those multiple streams of revenue for me are active, they're passive, And they're also from a syndication perspective, right? I syndicate larger deals. And I also still invest passively with other people. I still buy properties on my own or with one or two other partners. So for me, that's the diversification. Of course, we could talk about, you know, all these other things to invest in, but I, you know, my expertise is in real estate and that's how I diversify. You know, I have other people, you know, who I really respect, like yourself, Terrence, who invest in multiple different asset classes within real estate or even commercial real estate. And so I think that's a great approach as well. And I think it's something that I will continue to expand into. And I think at the end of the day, as long as you can evaluate and understand, truly understand that risk and have contingency plans in place for different asset classes, then that's a great approach to take as well. And so for me, that's how I look at it. And it's continually, hey, let's put another brick in place. And it's not from a place of being selfish or saying, how can I bring all the resources to me so that I can hoard them? It's in a position of abundance so that I can give, so that I can be more, so that I can spend time with you and have a conversation like this. And hopefully one person can listen to this conversation and say, wow, I'm really opening myself up for new opportunities. So what this allows me to do is this allows me to spend time with people. It allows me to give to other people. It allows me to live a more abundant life, experience the world, experience you know different cultures and different people without feeling like, how am I going to create practicality in my life. So that's what it's all about for me. Love it, bro. Yeah. You said it earlier, building the one brick mentality. And I tell people, I started off as a limited partner when I was 23 years old, investing in a capital company, actually still water capital. They're one of the biggest capital guys or groups in Dallas now. 
In 2006, 7, and 8, I was one of their first limited partners. And then in 08, my wife and I said, you know, let's take some of our cash and let's go buy these, you know, do it on our own. And so we started doing single family duplexes, urban development, scrape, new builds, whatever. We didn't buy first commercial strip center, Starbucks, Buffalo Wild Wings, AT&T type stuff until 2018. So it goes back to people may, I just want to leave this out here for everybody. Don't try to compete with Tyler. Don't try to compete with Terrence. Compete with yourself. Like we all have our own race. Stay in your lane. Stay on your own journey. And I think that's when people tend to have those emotions that come up of jealousy or envy. Well, because you're looking at everybody else's race and on social media, you're only seeing their highlight reels. (laughs) No one's going to post every week that they lost 10 deals or lost $10,000. They're only going to talk about the one deal they did. So I just want to encourage everybody, like be inspired by what Tyler's talking about, but don't compete with him. Like learn from him, grow, grow from what he's saying, but then just run your race. So that's something I wanted to put out there. So what's one lesson you wish you would have known when you got into real estate? Like that you like, I wish I would have known this when I got into this industry. That's a really good one. I mean, for me, and first of all, let me just comment too on, on, on what you just said, and, and I'll go back to this, but don't compete, create, right? You know, the, yep. the greatest players in this business and in life, in, in my opinion, are those who they don't compete, but they create, they create opportunities. But they also, if they're going to have a competition, they compete with themselves. And it's yep. not about, you know, perfection, but it's about progress. How can I beat myself from yesterday? And maybe if I don't, you know, not every day is perfect, right? So let's get back on track the day after that. And it is about how you invest in yourself. It is about how you grow as an individual, because, you know, what got you here isn't going to get you there. So how are you going to transform? You know, because what's going to require you to go to that next level is about that transformation. It is about who you become as a process, as a part of this process. And so what did I, what would I wish I would have known getting into this business? I think from a really foundational level, it's that humility is required for growth. And so what that comes down to is asking questions, right? It's, it's being willing to show other people that you don't know every answer. And Terrence, you probably have seen this yourself, surrounding yourself with some of the greatest investors or even practitioners or professionals in real estate, these people ask more questions than some of the most beginner people. And they (laughs) show that they don't know everything. And it is amazing. But when I got started in this business, man, I was so worried and concerned that other people would see that I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't want anyone to realize that I was a beginner. So I wish that I would have understood that humility and asking more questions and being willing to show that you are a beginner because look, we're always a beginner. Like that, that never stop learning mentality is what serves the greatest players in this business. Wow, that's good, bro. Man, we got we got a lot in common. We got the ball heads. We got it. We, <laughs> got, we got it all going. But right. So here's another saying: I have progression, not perfection. You just said it, but in a different way. And then earlier, you said something. This one of my quotes: I always say, "A man with options is a man with power." So by creating multiple income streams, you have the options, which creates power in your life to go to your daughter's recital and not be two hours late or whatever it is. And I always say what the next thing you said is questions. If I'm doing all the talking in the room, I'm not learning anything. Right. And no matter what track record of success you've done, whether it's a billion in sales or this, that, and that, people are always blown away because I ask a lot of questions. And I can tell at times they look at me like, dude, I know you know the answer, but I'm asking anyway because I want to know what their perspective is. And so I love going into the room and that, that, that to me is like a childlike spirit that, that the Bible talks about. 
childlike faith, but having a childlike spirit where you're continually wanting to evolve. And that's just something that I try to always stay on top of, because like you said, pride and ego comes in, but then you're not growing. You're not getting better and you can't get better if you're doing all the talk. Dude, I got to give you a shout out too, because when the first time you and I met, man, your level of presence and your level of humility is palpable. And I think that is a pattern that I've observed between the people that I admire most or the people that can be present with you and can truly ask questions and truly show interest because of the desire to learn, but also the desire to put someone ahead of themselves and to truly give to someone else and give someone the opportunity of sharing their expertise and recognizing that there's always something to learn, man, is amazing. But Terrence, you do a great job of that and you make people feel important by that. But you also learn too. So there's such a, it's like a, everyone wins, man. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Thank you for saying that, bro. I think at this time, like I even remember when I was playing football and then, you know, at that point I was one of the top college football players in the nation, top draft pick, get drafted, Aaron Rodgers, myself. And people would always approach us because we hung out a lot and just thought, after they would talk to us for five minutes, they're like, we just expected something different. And it's like, well, what did you expect? And I tell people all the time, like at the end of the day, none of this is going with me. I'm just a steward. My gifts, my whatever I've done, I'm just trying to inspire people and leave a legacy through my children and through the people that have interacted with me at some point in time. Um, And so whatever that is, I just want to always keep that mentality because I know if no one else knows, top draft pick, get injured my rookie year, I get paralyzed. It could be over like that. And so that's where it keeps me grounded. You know, and my mom, she was hard on me. So she she really enforced that into my mentality. But yeah, man, I got a couple more questions, bro, if you don't mind. Not at uh, all, man. What do you see as the biggest opportunity in real estate in the next 12 to 24 months? Ooh, well, I'll tell you what, man, when you look across the landscape, I mean, the biggest news that everybody has to pay attention to is what's happening with the Fed, right? You've got money. Uh, and liquidity coming in droves that we've never seen before, right? You had almost $2 trillion plus, you know, inserted into this economy. So what's happening, right? What's happening? And if you have any just economic logic, you've got to recognize that inflation will be, you know, a key component to our future and our near future, perhaps, you know, who knows? I mean, this is definitely uncharted waters, but if you think about it and you're already starting to see it in not only commodities, you look at lumber pricing, you know, obviously increasing 200%. You look at other pricing and labor and all these different things. I mean, skyrocketing in, in many capacities. You also see asset prices inflating as well because liquidity is what's going on. I mean, a lot of cash in the market. And so people are yeah. chasing yield because yield is very, very challenging. And so for me, I think the biggest thing is, you know, let's recognize that that is the case. Let's also recognize that maybe sometimes a contrarian viewpoint is important, right? If you think about some of the, you know, some of the most wise investors over the past hundred years, I mean, one of the, one of the individuals that I love to study just his philosophy is Warren Buffett. And what he says is be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And so, you know, we look across the landscape and, you know, there are certain markets, there are certain asset types or asset classes that are you know, highly, highly in demand for great reasons, right? And there are other assets and other markets that are maybe not on the front page of some of these, you know, investing media outlets, so to speak. And so how can you be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy? And of course, we don't want to be greedy at all, but you understand the concept. It's important to look where others are not looking. And so, you know, one of the things that we do and we have done uh, recently is we look at markets that are not on the front page, right? And we also look at, you know, the demographics, we look at growth, we look at job growth, we look at population growth and stability. 
that can still make sense and can still allow us to grow our portfolio and to grow the value of properties. But for me, I think that's one of the biggest opportunities is just to be open-minded. And you know, the other thing too, I just think that it's important for, for folks to continue to learn. And you know, while we go through this experience of you know, in uncharted waters in this economy, it's observe, it's be patient, and it's act aggressively when that opportunity strikes. So I, that's, I know it's a really general way to respond to your question, but that's kind of what I'm seeing right now, Terrence. No, that's great. And I know we really dove into some, some really mindset stuff. And I, I know my, my listeners always love numbers, right? So where are you at from a number standpoint? You know, there's so many different ways and people push it around. But how would you, if you said, hey, here's where I'm at in my business. Is it in sales that you keep up with? Is it in unit count? Is it in AUM? Like when you just need to take a quick overview of your scorecard of who you are and what you're doing as an entrepreneur, what does that look like? Where are your numbers? Yeah, well, I got in, I got involved in the business in 2013 as an agent, then built a brokerage company and have since pivoted to focusing completely on investing. And I also coach real estate investors across the country as well. And so as I was growing my brokerage company, of course, I'm looking at sales, I'm looking at annual sales. And as I was investing individually, I'm looking at, you know, Cash flow. I'm looking at yep. you know that across the board, and you know I guess the way that we measure sort of our investing life and in multifamily is sometimes we look at units, right? And so you know I'm I'm involved in over 500 units now and awesome. growing, and we're we're continuing to grow that. But you know we have uh, we have a desire for where we're looking to go, but at the same time, you know no deal is better than a bad deal. That is my yep. philosophy. So it's not about just growing that unit count at all costs. It's about yeah. buying deals that have a risk reward balance, right? And so for us, we're going to have a healthy growth over the next few years. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to provide opportunities and uh, you know, offering you know, tax advantage real estate investment opportunities. But at the same time, we're not just going to buy any deals. So that's where we're at right now. No, I love it. Jeff Bezos, I was watching the interview. He says, you know, him and Warren Buffett, there's two interviews they had that I've really just been digesting. And what he said is, he said, if I can make one big decision a quarter that can change the dynamics of not only the global economy, but his company, Amazon. Then he said, that's all I need to do. And I remember there was a time where when, you know, you become a real estate entrepreneur and you think busy, 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 go, 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 go. And what I've learned is one of the things that I've been talking to my wife about and my team is how do I get to a place where my sophistication conversations, so the, the level of my conversations are more sophisticated. So when it's time for me to make a decision, that I can make a really high level decision instead of making 100 million a week, or let's say 100 decisions a week, I make one big decision every two weeks that changes the dynamics. And and so in our multifamily kind of thought process, our goal is to do three deals a year. Like you said, instead of just rather, instead of doing a bad deal, I'd rather do no deal. So we're going to, when I tell people, when I bought my first commercial deal, I looked at, I had been researching for 16 months before we drew up an LOI. And it's like, you got to get to a place where you enjoy the process of that. Like, and it's like being an athlete, right? Like you only get to play 10, 11 games in football, but can you imagine how many practices, how many times we got to go out there in the heat just to play one game? But I've translated that mindset to real estate. Go look at a hundred deals before you make an offer on one. And that's the part that's so important, man. Man, practice like you play, right? When you're looking at deals, you know, visualize the fact that you will be buying that deal at some point, right? But yep. understand the dynamics, right? Because the more repetition you have, the more expertise you will gain. So repetition yep. to me is the mother of all skill. So yep. what can you do to look at more and more deals? 
And even as you grow and even as you begin to gain traction in your business, it still is going to be about repetition because most deals are not going to make sense, right? 80% of the deals or even more. I mean, in our business, 95% plus of deals that we look at do not make sense, but it's never a waste of time because we gain market intel, we gain repetition, we improve our systems. And we also know that the more deals we look at, the closer we're going to be to one that makes sense. Sweet, bro. I got a couple more questions. So real quick, like you said, what deal makes sense out of that five to seven, less than 10%? If you had a high level perspective, not diving into the leases and the ledgers and the entity and the whatever loan, whatever, there's so much due diligence. When you talk about cap rate, internal rate of return, equity multiple, hold time, what are those kind of three to five metrics that if you just said, hey, shoot me the deal and you can just look at it real quick on the OEM, where do you feel that that market is now between those four or five metrics? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the particular submarket itself and the level yep. of risk that we see in that particular submarket. But, you know, from a high level in terms of internal rate of return, what we'd like to see is somewhere in that 15% plus range. And, yep. you know, for the folks that are newer in investing, you know, internal rate of return is really kind of the holy grail in terms of the entirety of that project. And there, there is a lot of projection included in that number. So that's important to note. So what are our assumptions is a really important key component of internal rate of return. But if we feel very good about our assumptions, our knowledge of that market, and that we're calculating this to, to a correct degree, we'd like to see somewhere in that 15 plus percent range of yep. an internal rate of return. Uh, from an equity multiple standpoint, typically we would like to see a 2x you know, over a three to five year hold. And that's for our or the equity on our project. Uh, in terms of cash on cash, of course, this depends on the submarket as well. But typically, we like to see somewhere between seven and ten percent. And one thing I'll say is that you know we mentioned earlier is that liquidity continues to grow in this environment, so demand for opportunities grows as well. And so, with that said, we're seeing a slight compression of yields across the landscape. So that's where it is right now. But it may even compress even further as this continues. So. That's where it's at right now. But Terrence, did I answer your question? No, you did. Yeah. No, and Mark is getting tight. Last couple of questions. Hit these quick. So technology, what technology are you guys using that you feel like has really changed your business? And then how's your team structured? And then we'll hit our last two questions. Yes. So technology, first of all, I love technology because it's a leverage point to help us be more effective, right? And so it's not a replacement of relationships, but it allows us to expand through relationships. So couple of things. So number one, Zoom, right? You know, you and I are having this conversation through Zoom. We're building and strengthening our relationship together. That's a beautiful thing. Two, podcasts. You know, I have a podcast. It's called Elevate Podcast. It's all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. That is another piece of technology where we can scale and I can scale building relationships and learning and growing through that process because learning is the most important key component of my growth in real estate. For our team, we use a project management system called Basecamp. It allows us to manage our projects and our teams and different initiatives that we're working on or deals that we're working on. It allows us to contribute and collaborate, whether we're in the office or you know virtually. So that's another important piece. For investors, we have it's called IMS, Investor Management uh, Systems, and that allows people to manage their investments with us. And so this is an opportunity for us to not only streamline communication, but also streamline tax documents, you know, direct deposit cash flow and all this stuff. But those are just a few examples, Terrence. No, that's good, man. So you suggested we always have our guests bring one book that they suggest. Why did you bring the book that you brought and what's the quick synapses on that? You know, the book that I would suggest is a book called Never Split the Difference. 
And mm-hmm. that is by Chris Voss. He is a former FBI uh, negotiate hostage negotiator. And the reason why <laughs> this cool. is so important is because negotiation is one of the most, if not the most valuable practice that you can have in the real estate business beyond building relationships, right? Building relationships, let's just assume that that's the most valuable. But when you're negotiating a deal, you can either make or lose hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. So you got to be really in tune with how emotions are played out through negotiation. You've got to understand you know, how to really gain perspective and how to influence other people through this process. So that book to me is worth millions and millions of dollars. It costs you $14 to go buy it. So that's the book that I suggest that that folks dive into. Sweet, man. Sweet. How can people find you? And then let's let's plug the podcast real quick, but how can people find you if they're looking for you? Yeah, absolutely. If they listen to podcasts, of course, an easy way to go check us out is Elevate Podcast with Tyler Chesser. Again, that's it's all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. So if you want to be even higher performing, it's about a lot of what we talked about today. And it's about diving into a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just about learning about the tactics of real estate. It's about learning about how do I grow and expand as an individual? How do I understand my own psychology? How can I connect the dots of history? How can I connect the dots of economics and all of these different things and matching that together so that while you're patient, you can then take effective action when that opportunity presents itself. And so Elevate Podcast is a great way for people to find me. Also, they can find me if they want to learn more about investing with our company. It's called CF Capital. So you can just go visit us at cfcapllc.com or you can go check me out at tylerchester.com or anywhere on social media. I'm all over the place, Terrence. Love it, bro. Final thoughts, man. You want to leave for our guests, man. It's been a great episode, bro. I, I'm, I mean, I really enjoyed it. What's the final thoughts you want to leave for the listeners, listeners and the audience? Terrence, I really enjoyed it too, man. And and I'm just so grateful for the beginning stages of our relationship. I look forward to many, many more years of fun conversations just like this, because whether people believe it or not, man, these conversations, these this is exactly what we do off camera, right? So it's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. one thing I'll just say, and I'll leave with your listeners is if you believe you can and you believe or you believe you can't, you are right, right? That was yeah. Henry Ford, I believe you said that. And so we've got to check in with what do we believe is possible, whether you're conscious of that or subcon- or not conscious of that. And so let's check in with your beliefs. Do you believe it's possible to bu- build multiple streams of revenue for yourself? Do you believe it's possible to grow into that individual that you've dreamed of? Because if you do, then it is possible. If you don't, then you might as well not even take any action. So let's check in with that. And I also want to say that just because Terrence has done amazing things in his life, doesn't mean that you can't as well. So if you don't believe you can, let's get rid of that immediately. And let's start there and let's build one step at a time. And let's start today. So so Terrence, man, that's that's what I'd leave your listeners with. Mic drop, bro. Great job, man. Thank you so much, man. I mean, I'm, like I said, we're going to keep, keep it going, stay in contact. And I know we'll be doing a lot of business together in the future, bro. Congrats, man. Great episode, big dog. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, Terrence. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to terrencemurphy.com. 